This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Stand by for an urgent message from the crack team at Stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and oh my God, these cat videos. <laughs> I can't get enough. Check out these hilarious sounds the cats make. <laughs> oh my god, what? Alright, okay, fine. I am reading the script. Maybe more on that later, but today we're super excited to talk money diaries. Wish you could be a fly on the wall talking about other people's money? Today, you will be as we welcome Refinery29 Work and Money Director, Lindsay Stanberry. Plus, in our headline segment, what are the highest paying jobs in the U.S.? We've got that info, plus we'll answer a listener letter, throw out the Haven Lifeline, and also save time for my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who are the Laurel and Hardy of the financial podcasting world, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. You're the big, lovable, round one. I don't even know who those two people are. You don't know who Laurel and Hardy... You've never heard of Laurel and Hardy. I didn't say I hadn't heard of them. I just don't know who they are. Are you Paula Pant in disguise? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another Wednesday here on the show. I am Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and those cat videos are addictive. Okay. <laughs> it's, he's like, if you say so. You know what else is addictive? Away luggage is incredibly addictive. This episode of Stacky Benjamin is brought to you by Away. Away makes first-class luggage at coach prices that allows you to charge your phone on the go for $20 off a suitcase, and I now own two of them. Go to awaytravel.com forward slash SB and use promo code SB. That's awaytravel.com slash SB, promo code SB. And before we get too far, Joe so rudely didn't introduce me to the show. You just went <laughs> right from... Do I have... Do I have to introduce you? No, that's cool. Everybody that's knows right. you. You're the real, come on. You're the real star of the show. It's the one and only OG. Oh, thank you. Okay. Yes. Glad to be, glad to be here, Joe. I like how Thanks you pointed out. Thanks for having me back. Love how you pointed out, but you don't even introduce yourself. You just wait for Thanks it. For, Thanks for having me back. Hello, are you going to yeah, open the door? Hello. It's, Hello. it's the uh, unwritten rule between, between couples that if, if I don't say, hey, this is my friend, so and who's it? You have to, you know, introduce yourself because I forgot who that person is. So are you saying we're a couple now? Is that we've, what you're introducing to this? We've been a couple, Joe. 
Uh, we're also brought to you by Magnify Money. You know, the average person who goes to Magnify Money saves 450 bucks when they go there. And if you're somebody that just walked into your bank and said, what have you got? Welcome to 1998, my friend, <laughs> because it is now the financial revolution where you can have the best in class products just by reaching one site, whether it's your checking account, savings account, credit cards, trying to pay less interest to the man, consolidation loans. It's all there. Plus an award-winning blog, stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money tells them we sent you as mom says. We've got a great show. Lisa Stanberry here. I love these money diaries. I realize that Refinery29 is not a site for middle-aged dudes, supposedly, <laughs> but I love this place. And I'm so glad that Lindsay's here to talk money diaries with us. But first, we got some headlines, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Investment News. 10 highest paid professions in America today. And investment news is an industry rag for financial planners, financial advisors, which is why when I read this, it sounds like it's written for those people. It says, since a client's career will likely be their top asset long-term, financial advisors need to keep tabs on what professions are paying out the most. Today, these 10 roles are the highest paying jobs in the nation, according to Glassdoor. The results suggest... It pays to steer clients toward healthcare and technology roles. It should be noted, though, that C-suite jobs were not included in this report. <laughs> Turns out it's also very lucrative to be the CEO of Chase Bank. <laughs> if you can get that gig, you should get it. Send in your resume to the board at Chase. Or, you know, frankly, any of those. Honeywell would be a swell place to work. 3M. Toyota. I'll take any of them. Yeah. General Electric has struggled a little bit. Say, so, you know what? It looks like you guys need a new CEO. Yeah. Well, you're paying that idiot 15000000 million. I'll do his job for three. What a bargain. Yeah. With all the money you're saving. Cha. I mean, you can put all that toward the, getting the stock price moving the right way. <laughs> Even if I don't know jack about what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I work the fry vet at McDonald's. I'm good. Yeah. I could be the CEO of McDonald's. It, I know how all this works. It's all systems and process, man. Yeah. <laughs> But this idea of advisors steering their clients, I did have clients ask me, you know, when they're comparing careers, I would just bring out the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. I bring that website up and we just talk through it. And I'd, I would tell people myself, you know, you got to do something that you love. But if you love two things equally, why not do the one that pays more for money and find a way to wrap your hobby around the other one? That's the biggest thing when it comes to young people, I think, is the myth of you can just always do what you love to do. And you kind of juxtapose that against some of the other conversations that are happening in the financial independence community around, now, sometimes you got to slug through the crappy deals and you got to deliver pizzas at night and do Uber Eats and, you know, whatever, because it depends on like what your priority is. If you want a lifestyle of malaise, then go do your nine to five and do that for 35 years. But if you want to uh, kind of get out of the rat race a little earlier, you might have to take a position that isn't so glamorous. I've told the story here a few times about the man that I did some work for who was a millionaire many times over, made high six figures every year, and he made stop signs. And he and I had an interesting discussion about his career where he didn't initially love 
making stop signs. Like, I think I said, oh, look at that. that. That is a far better octagon than any I've ever seen. Did you see this one, Myrtle? This baby's the best color of red I've ever made. None of that. But what he found was that he grew to love the system. He grew to love the process. He grew to love the work that he did with cities and with suppliers and with uh, the people he interfaced with. And he said there was nothing that thrilled him more every day than going to work making stop signs, specifically to your point. There you go. Number 10 on this list. To my point. To your your point. Hey, John. John in the basement who said we say uh, to your point a lot. Uh, Number number 10. To your point. Go ahead. Now everybody's going to be tracking us. I shouldn't have even said that out loud because there's there's a game afoot here. Uh, number ten, software architect, medium base salary one hundred five three twenty nine. Software architects work a ton. Don't know anything about them. Sounds complicated. Number nine, this is a hugely growing field. Nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. lots of them. Uh, Always going to be sick people. Cheryl works in healthcare, and the number of nurse practitioners here locally that she works around in Texarkana versus when we came here 10 years ago, big explosion in that. That's 106,962. Next on the list, software engineering major, 107,479. Number seven, physician's assistant, 108,761. Number six, Software development manager. You starting to see a trend here? That's 108, 879. Well, I think the funny thing here is, too, this is a snapshot in time today. And maybe there's a little bit of projection there of here's what we think the trend is going to be. But what you just mentioned there about 10 years ago, not being a ton of nurse practitioners, for example, we don't know what the next 10 years are going to be. That's true. We don't know what the next 20 years are going to be. And People have said this. I tell my kids, I don't think the job that they're going to retire from has been created yet. I don't, I don't think it's around. And, and you think, well, what else could there be? We have everything there is. But you never know. The most important thing is to go into a field of something that you plan on having lifelong learning from. I'm just laughing as you're talking about just the old guy thing. When I was 30, this thing I do three days a week on the show didn't exist when I was 30. Yeah. Oh, 10 years ago, they didn't have iPhones, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, to your point. N- number five, <laughs> corporate counsel, uh, 115.580. This is a list for a lot of people. That's a job not made for Joe. Corporate counsel, I'm sure, is a fantastic job. Not, not a job for me. Number four, enterprise architect. 115, 944. Number three on the list, a pharmacist, 127, 120. Hot cities, by the way, for pharmacy, New York, Bakersfield, California, Dallas, Atlanta, and Philadelphia. Number two, a pharmacist. Bakersfield is really hot in real life, too. (laughs) Yeah, very hot. Uh, Number two, if you can't be a pharmacist, be the pharmacy manager. There you go. Not the assistant. Skip a step. Not the assistant. Like you're in college going, <laughs> yeah, I would like to uh, study uh, pharmacy manager skills. They're like, well, first you have to be a pharmacist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you understand. Book. That's, I want to be, I want to I do that. I want the Skip other this. one. Uh, median salary for that, 146412 And the number one highest paying profession in America today, being a physician, 
842. Uh, Tech medicine. Got it. It, it is TLDR Tech medicine. I remember though, in the early two thousands, reading a list here where financial advisor was one of the top positions. Actuary, I think was number one at that time. And I suppose actuary probably now is folded into one of these software tech positions. Good point. A lot of the actuarial work would probably be around algorithms, don't you think? A lot of that would be algorithmic stuff. Our second headline comes to us from financial planning. Big news in the ETF industry. Fund giant BlackRock closes 16 iShare ETFs. This is written by Jessica Matthews. BlackRock closed and liquidated 16 currency-hedged minimum volatility and multi-factor ETFs, according to the firm. The shuttered funds include iShares Edge, MSCI, Minimum Volatility Global Currency Hedged ETF. <laughs> Easy for you to say. Okay. <laughs> There's a, all four people that Who needed buys this crap. All four people that needed that fund in their portfolio are kicked out. And iShares Edge MSCI Multi-Factor Materials ETF, among others, the firm said. The decision to close the ETFs is part of an ongoing review to ensure products are meeting client needs, according to the firm. BlackRock stopped taking creation orders as of August 15th, and trading was suspended prior to market open on August 16th. Proceeds from the liquidations were scheduled to be sent to shareholders on August 22nd, the firm said. So, as they say, OG, the check was in the mail. And by this point, you probably got your money. If you were one of the six people that had the MSCI Global Index Currency Hedged Alt-Min-Vol Fund for whatever God knows reason. I think it shows how crowded this space is. And there's so many funds doing so many little niche things. And if a fund doesn't garner some type of support from that niche audience there, I mean, in these funds, they're clearly going for a niche audience and probably a professional audience, not the average person listening to this show. But if they don't find that audience right away, it's gone. 16 funds closing. Well, you have to look at the kind of structure of how all of this transpires and works. We talked about last week that there are more ETFs now in the market than there are actual individual stocks. So people are just creating lists just to create them, which is what an index is. So there's bound and determined to be these kind of ebbs and flows and product availability. But most companies get most of their assets at a new launch. So it makes more sense for BlackRock, rather than investing money in something that is fledgling or you know, very status quo to close it. And in six months from now, go, hey, everybody, look over here. We're launching a new fund. It's the Min Volatility Global MSCI Currency Hedged Fund. It's going to be awesome. And they can get, you know, and they'll attract a whole bunch of money that way. And then they also do it so that it's not a fund that is dragging. Sure. If for whatever reason, and this happens more in the active space than in the uh, ETF space, but it happens, you know, in the ETF space as well, the advertisements for fund companies often reference how many of their products beat the benchmark. And I'm thinking of one fund family in particular, you know, they'll say 72% of our funds beat the Lipper benchmark. 87% of our funds beat the benchmark over the last 10 years. I know the fund family With survivorship, you're about. you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. It's survivorship bias because they take the ones that don't beat it and cancel them or merge them into ones that are so that they don't have to count that as a, you know, one of the one of the losers. So it's kind of a game. But I don't think the average person needed this 
stuff anyway. So, Well, which brings me to my next question, OG, which is, you know, there's somebody who is yelling at their device right now, or maybe they're even thinking nobody needs this stuff. Like the same people that say permanent life insurance is only for suckers. Nobody is a big, strong word. I agree that very few people probably do. Which is why they're closing. Yeah. So I think they're part of a pretty specific strategy. And it's funny because I've read people online going, look at all these baloney investments that people get suckered into. No, no, no. They were made for professionals, not you. Like how many times have you seen a non-pro get sucked into like that 3X bear fund? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? The the daily traded one? Yeah. They're not made for pros either, but I know what you mean. Well, they're made for day traders is what they're made for. Because if you're not out at the end of the day, you've done it wrong. (laughs) You lose. Yes. Do not pass go. And you probably, average person probably loses anyway on that fund. But it's, but it is made for somebody. It is made specifically for somebody. So, company that made it and they want to collect their uh, management fee. Oh, come on. And uh, I think our takeaways here number one is ETFs, maybe stick with the broad indexes unless you're looking for. A real niche. Very specific niche. And and if you are looking for a very specific niche, don't be surprised when there's a check in the mail because they just liquidated the account. And then our second, top paying careers. It's important to do what you love too, but money is definitely a factor. And I think if- Swim where the fish are. Amen, brother. Or fish where the fish are. Depends on if you're at a nature conservancy or- a fly fishing conference. <laughs> that would make all the difference what you do with the fish. Lindsay Stanberry is here. Oh, gee. I don't know if the books are getting stronger this year or if my money geek is getting stronger, but this book was awesome. 300 pages of money diaries. Of course, I'm talking about the Refinery29 post that goes out regularly where they ask readers to detail a week in their life and tell you a little bit about them. And you get so much. You feel like you're reading someone's diary because they don't just tell you about money. They tell you also about how it interacts with their life. And Lindsay has taken all of the money diaries and coupled them with advice, not just from herself, but also from experts in the area. It was great to see our friend Shannon McClay from the financial gym as one of the experts in this book. But This is packed full of goodness. I can't wait to talk about why budgets are baloney and uh, what you can learn from looking at somebody's money diary, including creating your financial mantra. Lindsay Stanberry coming down to the basement. And coming down to the basement, our friend Lindsay Stanberry from Refinery29 joins us. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's funny. I'm reading your introduction here, Lindsay, and you said that in all of your wildest dreams when you were 17, you would have never seen yourself doing the work and money vertical at a, at a place like Refinery29. Tell me how you got from that kid to you now. Yeah, it's really bizarre. I, I think my father is still really confused about what I do, but I think that's just general for millennials, right? Our yeah, parents right. don't understand our jobs. So I have done a bunch of different things in my career. I was at Refinery working as a copy editor. I'm a terrible copy editor, always missing the commas. I got really tired of the narrative around millennials being really bad with money. And I had this idea to write a kind of a personal essay 
slash how to article about how my husband and I saved $100,000 to buy our first apartment in New York City. It was a really popular article on the site. People really responded well to it. And it kind of made me realize that there wasn't anything out there like this for young women where they could really share their financial stories. And then at the same time, I also realized that I was having a hard time finding the personal finance advice that I really wanted. So I had the incredible privilege of working at Refinery and I kind of just told them, I think that we need to do this. I think we should do it. And they let me. (laughs) So I started calling up female financial advisors and talking to them because I I felt like the way that men talk to women about money is very different than the way women talk to women about money. And I kind of wanted to change the way that we talk to women about money. So that's what we did. Well, I was going to ask you about that, but, but actually before we even get to that, were you afraid like walking in there and saying, Hey, we need to do this new thing. Maybe full well knowing if it doesn't work out, that's I'm in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) I knew our readers really wanted it. And I like just had a feeling that it would be a big deal. And I honestly, when we started Money Diaries, Money Diaries was an idea that a fellow editor had. And she came to me and she said, we should do this thing. And I was like, I don't know, that sounds kind of boring. Like people's grocery receipts. I had no idea that it would turn into the phenomenon that it was. And she gave us the first one. And the diarist who was a young woman living in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And she was like, such a typical millennial. She bought avocado toast. She took too many Ubers. She bought a massage for herself because she hated her job. She did all these really typical millennial things. And then she went on a Tinder date and she did Coke. I was like, oh my God, what is this? And I gave it to my boss and she read it and she was like, we're onto something. And we published that first one and it just really took off. It was incredible. Yeah. I read all these money diaries that you've included in the book at the beginning of every chapter and you start to dig in and it is crack cocaine. I mean, Yeah, it really is. It really, it's fascinating. And people share well beyond what happens with their spending. They talk about their relationships and their terrible jobs and their weird neighbors. And it just goes to show you how money really touches all parts of our lives. And we don't really think about that. It is a great way. Yeah. To your point, to build a connection, right? I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people have this disconnect. I don't want to talk about my money. I don't care about standard deviation. I could give a crap about the line items of a budget, but when you've got, I spent X amount of money on an Uber to a party to do Coke, all, all of a sudden. All. She didn't buy the Coke and she had a line in there that she didn't buy the Coke. So she doesn't know how much Coke costs, which I thought was like really summed up the whole thing. <laughs> that does sum it up. Why? Is, so back in the day when I was a financial planner, I used to have to give seminars and, and I only did two of these that were, that were for women. They were pre-written for me. They were dog I mean, to put it bluntly, and it was just this whole man's, you could tell it was written by a man. It was all this mansplaining. Like, what's the deal there? I don't know. I think it's super bizarre. I think that when I was getting into this and what I was finding was when I wanted to read about how to invest in my 401k, people would tell me things like, you should consider buying stock in the clothing brands you like. And it's like, that's the worst advice I've ever heard. And I don't even know anything about personal finance. Just because I like to wear, I don't know, Zara doesn't mean I'm going to buy Zara stock. So I would say that even though I think that the advice that I give in this book is geared toward women, it's just good advice. I would give it to 
I would recommend my guy friends read this book too. Well, and I'm always at Refinery29 and I know I'm not the... I'm not the target audience, neither millennial nor woman, and I absolutely dig it. But but let's go in from the beginning. I thought we'd, since the book is 300 pages long, and we're yeah. not going to get to all of it today, unfortunately, we'll have no. you back for the rest of the year. That sounds good. <laughs> I wanted to dig in just to this first money diary and the little pieces that you write beyond that, if you don't mind. Sure. The first money diary is a week in Los Angeles, California on an $86,000 salary. The yeah. woman is a senior copywriter. She's 29 years old, working in mm -hmm. advertising in LA. Uh, she makes $86,000, but what's interesting is she also has a $15,000 side hustle. Yeah, she's a hard worker. Yeah, she really is. And it goes over her expenses. I don't want to go over that part, but if mm -hmm. you don't mind, uh, Lindsay, can I, can I read to everybody what you wrote here? Or, or, yeah. or actually what she wrote yeah. uh, in her diary, then we'll talk about it. Because I want to get yeah. people that haven't read these money diaries and I know you already explained a little bit about it. I want to read this little bit from the beginning of day one. Go for it. 6.35 a.m. Alarm goes off, waking me out of a weird dream. I was swimming through a water house with some coworkers. What the fuck is a water house? Anyway, I roll over and give my perfect, sweet, handsome boyfriend a big kiss as he compliments me on how cute I look while I sleep. Kidding. I stretch out in bed, single as fuck, and read the entire internet before getting up. She's hilarious, isn't she? <laughs> Everything she writes is hilarious. She's so funny. That's why I included this diary in the book. 8.15, I'm at work earlier than almost anyone because I like the quiet, and it makes me feel superior to my coworkers. I eat an English muffin with goat cheese and tomatoes that I brought from home, plus a cutie, the fruit kind, not the human kind, and office coffee. 9.30, it's a slow week at work. I look for Christmas presents for my dad to get my mom. Somehow this has become my job. I send him an email full of good options. He'll pick which ones he wants to buy. Then I purchase and wrap them and he'll pay me back. I realize this is unfair emotional labor that I probably be, been tasked with because I'm a woman, but at the same time, it's my dad. I own for basically everything in my life. So far, she spent no money, Lindsay, but, yeah. but she gets into the money. But this is how deep you go with some of yeah. these diaries. It's incredible. They share so much beyond that. But it is important to talk about this emotional labor and being single and living on their on her own and getting to work early. And she doesn't spend any money because she brought her own lunch, which is awesome. That is awesome. And it's a problem most people have with money is they spend a ton yes. of money on lunches out. Yes. When you get past the breakdown, so you go through seven days of this mm -hmm hilarious. She goes to a work party on Wednesday. For some reason, work has party on a Wednesday. It was a holiday party, but yes, yes. And then on Thursday, they host a breakfast the next morning to make sure everybody comes into work. Yes. She's super hungover. <laughs> so you ask her follow-up questions at the end of this. Yeah. The big thing I wanted to focus on here is she talks about living alone. And you ask her a lot of questions about, she spends a lot of money living alone. And I know that the two things people spend money on more than anything is their housing and their Uber rides or the way they get to work, their transportation costs. Yeah. For her, she makes this great connection about why she spends more living alone. Can you walk through that? Yeah. So she talks about the fact that she broke up with a boyfriend who she was living with. And when they broke up, she was trying to figure out what she was going to do next. You know how it is in the world. You have these moments in life where like everyone you know is living with someone else. You're, you said she's 29. Yeah. She's 29. She's tired of living with roommates and she makes a decision that she's going to get her own apartment and pay a lot for it. 
But she's also very cognizant about the fact that it costs a lot. That's what I love. Yeah. So she's really careful. And that's part of the reason that she's making 15K a year on the side hustle so that she's able to afford both the living alone with all the joy that that brings her. But also like the rest of her life. I don't think she has student loans, does she? No, no, no she doesn't. So she had the benefits of parents paying her, helping to pay for college. And then she paid off the rest. So I think that that also allows her to, you know, make this decision. It was funny because you don't hit me over the head with a point. But the point here made me feel more conscious about my spending, which is she realizes she needs this haven for herself because she works so damn hard. She needs this place where she can go and relax. She recognized how expensive it is. So she pairs up this lifestyle choice with this extra income choice, which made me feel more cognizant about why am I making these choices? Yeah. And I think that's the whole point of Money Diaries and this book especially is that there's so much... I mean, you're in this space. There's so much negative advice out there, right? Don't do this. Don't do this. But we really want to encourage people to figure out how to afford the lifestyles they want. And obviously, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. She packs her lunch almost every day in this diary. She eats a lot of Trader Joe's sandwiches, which, you know, (laughs) better or worse, that's what she's doing. For the trade-off is that she's able to live by herself, and that's really important to her. And that's really cool. No, I absolutely love that. Money, obviously, is a fuel And I think sometimes to your point, being in this space, like, I don't want to make my own furniture, Lindsay. I don't, I don't want to live in a tent in the woods. No. Yeah. Uh, But you use this as a launching point to talk about getting started. How does somebody, when they're just starting out, they're not interested in this, like you weren't at 17. How do you get started? I think you just start, you kind of have to dive in. I think that's really hard, but I hope that if you're reading this book, it kind of gets you excited about it. I find this stuff really fascinating. I find sitting down and like digging through my accounts to be really interesting and looking at what's going out and what's coming in and how I'm making that all work. So we recommend that you just start by writing everything down and really having an understanding. And I think when you have debt, that can be really scary. So it's going into it, not feeling like you're going to be judgmental of yourself just like I'm trying not to be judgmental of you as I help you through this process. It's funny that you say that. A lot of people worry about apps, about, oh my goodness, do I have the right stuff? And you say, none of that matters. A legal pad is fine. I don't think that you need any of that. I don't use, I've tried all of those different apps. I don't find them, any of them to be particularly good. I think that you just have to it sucks to say it, but you kind of just have to be a grown up and like take responsibility for it. You're not always going to like what you see, but that doesn't mean that you can't, that you shouldn't do it. And then you go into your money mantra. And I'm going to (laughs) start with what you wrote here. If you're rolling your eyes at money mantra, which by the way, Lindsay, I totally was. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) If you're rolling your eyes at money mantra, give me a minute to explain. This isn't some new age spiritual bullshit. As Priya Malani, the founder of the millennial-minded Stash Wealth, first told me, it's a statement that helps you remember why having control of your finances is so important. I love that. Can you tell me about your money mantra? Yes. Like I said in the beginning, I've had a really weird career. I worked in book publishing for a long time. It's funny to be back on the other side being the author of a book. Um, And I got laid off from my job, and it took a very long time to find a new job. And while I was going through the process of trying to find a new job, I was also trying to find like a whole new career path. In the end, I decided to take a job at a startup, but it involved me taking a $20,000 pay cut. Oh, wow. Which was huge. But I had this feeling that if I do this, it's going to lead me to new opportunities that I wasn't going to have otherwise. Also, 
I wasn't going to go back to school. I joked that this time at the startup was like my graduate school degree, except I didn't go into debt to get it. And my husband and I had, you know, we had saved that initial $100,000 to buy our first apartment. But after that, we continued saving. That's just kind of part of our DNA. It's part of our relationship. And so I had this emergency fund. So I knew if things went really bad, we could afford our lifestyle. We could pay the bills, even if we were taking this big paid cut. And we weren't going to like go to Europe or really take any kind of vacation. But I thought it was worth the risk. And so that's has been my money mantra always is to always have enough money in the bank that I can take a risk, a calculated one, but a risk nonetheless. I love that though. So you have this, uh, I don't know, this ability to do things that will advance your career and you don't have to think, you don't think twice about, and knowing you just a little bit, you probably do think twice anyway, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but, yes. You, but you don't have to think twice about, is it worth it or not? Or do I have the stamina for this fight? Cause you yeah. do. Uh, and I definitely come from a place of privilege. You know, I've had so many opportunities. I never had student loans. My husband is incredibly careful with money. And that's like a really lucky thing to have been coupled up with him. And even though I've had these, you know, I have this privilege, being able to think about money in this way has really changed my perspective on things. You have action items at the end of each of these chapters. And uh, one of them at the end of this is to write down your money mantra and keep it handy. Mm-hmm. And by the way, at the end of these, during these chapters, you also have why you're at it, save two bucks. And so far at this point in the book, you've saved $3. I laughed when I first saw that. And I immediately <laughs> yeah. did what I think everybody does. I went to the back of the book to see how much money I'm going to save <laughs> by the end. Money. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I make it to the end and it's funny because I've forgotten now how much money that I've saved, but I've Over saved $500. Yeah. 528 bucks. So, th- so this book saves you five Benjamins. Yes. Five Benjamins. And I made it sure that you can buy the book and still save just over, I think, just over $500. So it's a good investment. <laughs> it's a perfect investment. Hey, uh, one more thing before I let you go. The very next piece, and by the way, guys, uh, there's 300 pages in this book, and I think we made it to page uh, like nine. So yeah. you can see how much is packed into here. You talk to friends of ours we've had on the show. Shana McClay is in here, who is a mutual friend of ours. Lots of great people, lots of phenomenal advice about every aspect of your life. But- I want to get to this. When you talk about spending and saving right here at the beginning of the book, you have yeah. this phrase, budgets are bullshit. What do you mean by that? I think they're bullshit. I think they set up people up to fail and they make people really anxious. We at Refinery29 are anti-diet. We won't recommend a diet to someone. And I feel the same way about budgets. I just think that they make people feel uncomfortable. That's not to say that we don't go through this book and recommend ways that you can think about your spending and saving. We go through Elizabeth Warren's 50, 30, 20, what some people would argue is a budget. And I would say is just a way of looking at what's coming in and out of your pocketbook. Yeah, there's, there's so much here. Uh, the book is called Money Diaries, everything you've wanted to know about your finances and everyone else's. I bet I can get it at Refinery29, but where else can I get it? You can get it at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all over the place. Everywhere. Awesome. Everywhere. Everywhere books are sold, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And if you're, by the way, walking your dog or you're on your morning commute, we've got you covered. We've got a link in our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Lindsay Stanbury, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Thank you. It was so great to join. trivia fans i'm joe's mom's neighbor doug and if you think this podcast is all bark and no bite i just have this for you 
<laughs> all right, all right, I'll get to the trivia. Get off me, man. Okay, here's today's amazing trivia question. What high-end retailer was the first to introduce the gift card? I'll be back with your answer, and maybe another... Oh, fine, okay, I won't. Yeah, in just a moment. Stacking Benjamins is supported by Magnify Money. We're going to do the thing that we do fairly often here. You can hear me typing as I go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. And we look over at savings account rates and check this out. Just a couple links and recording this one a little bit early. So rates might be higher than this. I don't think they're going to be lower, but Salem five direct at 2.05 is the highest interest rate on magnify money. Think about what interest rate you're getting. You're getting 2.05 on your savings account. I seriously flip and doubt it. So for a better interest rate, magnifymoney.com will show you. Now that's first. What's surprising is, is in second now is Utah First Credit Union. Haven't seen that one lately. And Citizens Access also haven't seen that one. Those are second at 2%. What's interesting about those two is that Poplar Direct has been at 2% for a while. But Magnify Money lists them fourth. And the reason you can very quickly see is because they get an F on their fine print score, meaning their fine print is way too complex for most people. Utah First has a B in that area, and there's only 50 bucks as a minimum deposit to get the 2%. So they're there. Citizens Access is a $5,000 deposit, and they get a C grade, which is interesting because Salem 5 Direct it has a B grade for fine print and only a penny to get it and it's 2.05. So there, look what I did. I very quickly was able to compare, ditch, switch, and save money. Not only there, I can compare and save in many different ways, whether it's cashback reward cards, 0% credit cards, CD rates, auto loans, checking accounts, savings accounts, student loan refinancing, and more. Plus, one of the best blogs on saving money on earth our friend Mandy Woodruff from the Brown Ambition podcast runs that blog. And a lot of our friends that have been on Stacking Benjamins work there. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money is our favorite place to compare, ditch, switch, and save. The average person saves 450 bucks. I'm also excited that we're supported by the only company that makes luggage that I've ever cared about. Thanks to Away for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Away makes affordable, high-quality suitcases that charge your phone, and they cut out the middleman. And by doing that, they're able to offer you the perfect luggage made with high-quality materials at a much lower price. I'm not kidding on these materials. I don't know how it all works together. Like, that's not my area. They talk about this impact-resistant German polycarbonate. No idea. All I know is I've run into stuff. I also know that I kind of beat up my suitcases a little bit takes a licking and keeps on ticking. I remember that one. I don't even remember what uh, what what advertisement that was from, but we're going to apply it right now to Away Luggage. Away is the perfect suitcase to make your travel experience stress-free. The carry-on bags, the ones I have. So I've got the carry-on and the bigger carry-on. They also offer the kids carry-on, the medium bag and the large bag. But the carry-ons have these two USB ports and a high-capacity battery that lets you charge multiple devices on the go whether it's your phone, your laptop, your tablet. You see, you never have to worry about a dead phone or fight for an outlet at the airport. 
ultra durable, lightweight. We talked about that. Smooth ride in any direction. Four 360 degree spinner wheels that can't get stuck or broken. Theft proof. It's a TSA approved combination lock built in to keep your belongings safe. And even overpackers can fit everything they'd need. They have this patent pending interior compression system that tightly buckles in bulky items. Comes with a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, Away is going to fix it or replace it for life. You get a risk-free 100-day trial period. If at any point you say, you know what, not for me, you can return it and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. And plus, if you're in the lower 48 states, guess what? You get free shipping anywhere in those states. Away's got a special offer for listeners of Stacky Benjamins for our little family. For $20 off a suitcase, go to awaytravel.com slash SB. Use promo code SB at checkout. That's awaytravel.com slash SB, promo code SB. Both OG and I have used that link for our $20 off. Make sure you use that. Not only does that tell them that we sent you, but it also, it's 20 bucks. What's that phrase? 20 bucks is 20 bucks. Trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and get a load of this <laughs> bird. It's singing. It's singing like a person. Okay. Okay. That's just simply. God. Okay. I just can't. Some people, man. As I was saying, here's the answer to today's trivia question, which was this. What high-end retailer introduced the gift card? While Blockbuster was the first company to widely offer gift cards, it was Neiman Marcus who first introduced the concept in 1994. Get it right? Go treat yourself to a $26,000 pair of pants because you deserve it. You're a winner and people like you. See ya. $26,000, they must have been on sale. I made the mistake of buying jeans at Neiman Marcus once. Did you really? Oh, yeah. No, they're great jeans. But have you ever got to that point where you're at a store and you kind of get down the path too far and you go, holy crap, this is not what I thought it was going to (laughs) be. You know, (laughs) you're like you're like buying a pair of jeans and a shirt for like, you know, the weekend or something. Yeah. And then you go, boy, my intent was to be like at 80 bucks, not 180 bucks. (laughs) And and you're kind of down that path. Do you have you ever had that? Have you back away or do you just eat it? Well, you th- run away. You're like, oh, look at the time. Yeah, this is the bad thing. DirecTV. Mo- <laughs> right? Most of the time, I will back away. But there's been a couple times where I've been working with a salesperson. and That's I feel, what I mean. Yeah, and, Neiman I, Marcus, I guess, salespeople. Right? And I feel so invested in that person and our relationship that's lasted the last 12 minutes. At least minutes. 40 minutes. I know. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't afford this crap. <laughs> yeah, not good. I have to tell you, when I was a financial planner and was was juggling my practice and all the media stuff I was doing around Detroit, I had a client who was a Nordstrom personal shopper. And I have to tell you, I have never saved as much money on clothing, believe, and I know people aren't going to believe that, as I did when I had her. She would always, She would always just call me and say, Joe, your next stuff is ready. And at first, Cheryl would say, are you kidding me? You have given a person at Nordstrom carte blanche to just buy you anything, but she would only buy it when it was on a severe discount. And I'd walk in and I'd say, what does this cost? And she goes, well, normally, you know, it's 
$240, but it's 65. Cheryl even said, she's like, you look better. I wouldn't pick up my own clothes. She's like, you look better. The fact that I took zero time doing it. Her name was Linda Sue. The fact that Linda Sue knew when the best sales were, she would pick out stuff during the best sales that fit me. And it was great. It was, I would have never thought that personal shopper and Joe had anything in common. And now you do that exact same thing at Gander Mountain. So now I do the same thing at Goodwill. I've got field and stream, which explains your plaid shirt today. <laughs> I've got, I've got Lou at Goodwill goes through Are the you thrift going fly store. Fishing? From, no, you don't like this. No, I'm going to be a picnic table <laughs> or that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's throw out the Haven life live and we'll tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven life insurance agency, they put what you value first. Neiman Marcus pants for sure. <laughs> Bedazzled. Neiman Marcus Bedazzled, pants. Bedazzled Neiman Marcus pants and uh, closed ETFs. I don't know. Either that or your loved ones in your time. And don't your loved ones love you more when you're in bedazzled pants? Yeah. When you come home from Neiman Marcus with a big bag of stuff, your significant other is totally impressed. And then you tell them in the next breath that you're not going to eat at a restaurant for the next six weeks yep, so that exactly. you can afford it. Great news. We're saving money on our budget for uh, going out to eat. Because I went and bought jeans. Yeah, the other great news is, don't I look great in these? <laughs> <laughs> that's, wh- that's why I got to get back to Haven Life. It's why Haven Life is made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. Uh, you can hit pause and do that right now. You know, it's funny. The application there is so simple and online. So you get this instant coverage decision and prices I ran through this just recently. This is an example quote, a 20-year, half a million dollar Haven Life policy issued by Mass Mutual for a healthy 35-year-old man starts at 21 bucks a month. StackyBedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And today we're throwing out the Haven Lifeline to our friend Thomas. Say hi, Thomas. Hey, Joe and OG. Thomas here. I've got a somewhat asinine and convoluted question because <laughs> I figured, meh, nothing better to do. Anyway, for an investment plan, Is it at all rational to contribute to the riskiest asset class, say small cap value and emerging markets, while young, until 30 or 35, and then make the next five or so years contributions in a less risky manner? So say I'm 22 and between 22 and 30, contribute all small cap and emerging markets. Then from age 31 to 35, a Merriman style portfolio, maybe more asset classes, but still small and value oriented. Then a traditional modern portfolio theory, maybe a Boglehead 3 fund style of contribution after that, etc. Now here's the kicker. Contributions made at, say, age 28 in the associated returns are a balanced according to rules set for those contributions and returns at age 28. So let's say 50-50 small cap value and emerging market contributions and growth are always are balanced to 50-50 small cap value and emerging markets, even if I'm then 45 and doing traditional modern portfolio theory style contributions for contributions during age 45. Am I a moron? I mean, I know I'm asking two guys in an attic about all this stuff. So that much stupid is there. Am I totally off base with this? Say hi to Doug for me. And by the way, get a fan. Attics are hot in the summer, just so you know. Yes. And the air conditioning, uh, by the way, Thomas, uh, went out yesterday, which was not great. Richie and I, luckily, OG, for him, was gone for the day. but uh, And Doug was gone. But Richie, our producer, and I, sweating our brains out in the afternoon. 
it, it wasn't very good OG. But what do you think about Thomas's style here, especially the stuff early on, just emerging markets and small cap, and then bending down the wrist to stay equities only, but uh, fanning it out to a more, I don't know if the word is responsible or more diversified portfolio later. I don't know why any rational person would do this for a lot of reasons. I think mainly the complication of it, you're effectively suggesting that you know exactly when different asset classes are going to I don't think he's saying know, that at all. Perform. I mean, I don't think what's he's wrong with that at all. what's wrong with just having a regular asset allocation like a normal human being and going from there. So Thomas, I'm going to take the other side of this. Is that a little too tart for you, Joe? That sweet tart just turned from sweet to sour? No, because I think that you can be, and I think you're the competent financial planner, and I'm the guy that doesn't do it anymore. So let me tell you what what my daughter's doing, almost exactly what Thomas said. I said, listen, you're 22 years old. She and I were picking the stuff. She's like, I'm not going to look at it. She's had stocks for a while. She's not going to, she doesn't react when the market goes, goes, now, she hasn't seen a big-time downturn yet. But and she, also, she doesn't have the same money she'll have when she's 40 or well, 45. No and, no, and she said, she's like, Dad, if I lose 20% on 500 bucks, I didn't lose very much money. Like, in the big scheme of things, I didn't lose much. So why not crank up the risk? So she has one fund, Thomas, in her 401k, her first year saving. And by the way, great on her. And she's told me, I can tell people that she saved over $10,000 into her 401k in her first year working out of college. I mean, do the math on that, OG, just that money, what that's going to be worth when she's 60. But it's all small cap. She just went all small cap. That's it. To Thomas's point, why not? I'm 22. Well, so point, counterpoint. <laughs> to your point. Yes, to your point. Actually, to the opposite of your point. What about the last decade, which has mostly predominantly been driven by U.S. large cap growth and very small intermittent blips of emerging market and and small cap value or small cap doing well, if you would have done this starting in 2008, you'd be way behind. Why not just have a regular, well-thought-out, diversified asset allocation? That can be all equities, by the way. It doesn't You don't have to put any of that stupid fixed income stuff in there. And now you've automatically got a way to rebalance in addition to your contributions, which is kind of the rebalancing in and of itself by your, you know, especially early on, you're going to be contributing more than your portfolio will be variance if that makes sense. You know, it's your portfolio is not going to move as much as you're going to be putting money in generally at the very beginning. But yeah, when you're 22, you still have 80 years of time horizon. And when you're 52, you have 50 years of time horizon. I don't know that that means that you have, how would you have a different asset allocation at 22 versus 52. The only but, difference would be because that why not, why, you need money at 65 also. I don't know. Why not notch up the why not notch up the risk a lot when the dollar values are small? That's the difference. She wins either way. If it goes up, she wins. If it goes down, she wins cuz she didn't lose that much money and guess what? Because it's her 401k and she's dollar cost averaging into the 401k or in this case Thomas, we can stop talking about my daughter, I suppose. But if Thomas is doing this where he's dollar cost averaging in and that volatility goes south. Fantastic. Like the market going so, down for him, if he's just starting out, like high five yourself. Sure, I'm, I lost a couple hundred bucks, but I'm also now driving bunches of money into one of the most volatile asset classes out there, which is exactly where I want to be when the market's low. So why not continue that all the way into your 50s then? 
why is the magic age between 30 and 35? I don't, 31 and 36 or whatever he said. Oh, I don't know. I just thought that as the dollar values get higher, fanning it out, where he's holding on to the dollar values, and now you're talking about real money when you talk about 20% down, and you're probably going to get more emotional about it at that point. Yeah. Having a more, I guess, you know, I don't know that the word's responsible, but responsible asset allocation as the dollars grow, paying more attention to the efficient frontier as the dollars are higher. Makes sense. You're starting out. Who cares about any of that? Get invested. And why does somebody who's just starting to invest get a Betterment account that's 20% bonds? Come on. Like, really? Probably the smartest thing you've said in a month and a half. It, it just, it's, it's a brain dead thing when you, it, it, I can't, I can't defend that, but I can easily defend what Thomas is talking about starting out, which is, okay. I, I like this uh, high volatility at the start, Thomas. Love it. I would just do that the whole time then. Then just stick with it. Yeah. But what about when he well, needs cash? Well, frankly, with that type of volatility, if he does the thing that you see financial planners talk about where you, you know, you're in retirement, so you have maybe eight years in an account with cash and the rest is just go, baby, go. Historically, that's worked pretty damn well. The thing you have to be aware of when you are very concentrated in asset classes is you're going to have to be okay with large amounts of time of underperformance relative to, quote, the market. You know, emerging market is a great example of this. There's really great periods of time and then really long, crappy periods of time. Small cap is another great example of that most recently. Uh, had a great 2000s, latter part of 2016 but generally speaking, the eight years prior to that were pretty, pretty miserable. So I think that's the other side of it, too, is that I think a lot of people can talk a big game. But then when they're, you know, when your feet get put to the fire, are you really going to stick with it? And so you started this in 2008 and in 2009 and in 2010 and in 2011 and in 2012 and in 2013 and in 2014 and in 2015, and then most of 2016, you're getting smoked year after year by large cap growth. The S&P 500 is kicking your butt, and you're eight years into it, and you're going to go, yeah, you know, I'll just stay the course. I'm underperforming by 5% a year, or whatever the number was. So I think we also have to look at it from the behavior side of things uh, as well. I do agree with that. I mean, back to my daughter for a second. I know her she knows her, and uh, it has a lot to do with, with, with you as much as anything else. And by the way, that wasn't, for once, me picking on Betterment. That was me just saying 20% in bonds when you're 22 years old. Doesn't make a lot of sense. But once again, OG, if it's, if it's you, if you're worried about you, maybe that is a decent choice. Thanks for the question, Thomas. We got letters down here in the basement, and uh, Doug just brought this one from John. John writes, I owe $8,000 in my car. Be a good thing to me to transfer the balance to my credit card that's offering a 2% balance transfer fee at 0% APR for 11 months. I do plan on paying it off within the 11 months. Thanks in advance. No. How come? Because I said so. Oh, there it is. The omniscient one <laughs> said, do not do it, John. Thanks for the letter. Yeah. It's like my mom said, no is a complete sentence. There it is. Yeah. Well, he didn't tell us what the interest rate is on the truck. On the truck? He said car, but you can fill in 
you know, so whatever. Vehicle. Yes. What is the current interest rate of the said vehicle loan? And that makes all the difference. The other thing I think, John, that makes all the difference. Well, what is it? Makes Does this, he say? He doesn't say. The other okay. thing that makes this dangerous uh, from where I sit is how many times have you and I seen someone do something like this? And this is when you start to get in the law of larger numbers. Certainly working with a couple hundred families is not the law of large numbers like an actuary that we were talking about earlier, but it is yeah. a law of larger numbers. And you and I would see this kind of crap go wrong a lot. More times than it goes right. I mean, you just have to look at it this way. If the interest rate on your car is 4% and the interest rate on the credit card is 2 because it's 2% balance transfer fee, and it's really not 2, it's more than 2 because it's over 11 months. So you got to take 2, divide by 11, and multiply by 12 to kind of get a more close, effective interest rate annualized. Well, the 2% is 2% of the balance that he's doing it with, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. And so when comparing that, you have to think about, okay, if you have an $8,000 balance, you're going to pay it off in 11 months, you're paying $800 a month, right? I mean, give or take. Yeah. And so the interest rate on that loan is going to continue to go down, or the interest amount on that loan is going to continue to go down so much so that the last month's interest is only going to be, if it's at freaking 4%, like 30 bucks, because it's a declining balance. Whereas the 2% is going to get levied on all 8,000 immediately. So the difference, so I don't think that, I don't think it's going to match. I don't think it's going to matter. The difference isn't as high as he thinks it's going to be. Well, even if it's, I mean, you got to look at the risk reward component of it. At what point do you say the value of this is worth the risk of the other side? I'm saving 180 bucks of interest in exchange for the potential that if this goes wrong by one flipping day, they're going to hit me with 1600 bucks of interest or whatever the number is. That is not asymmetric risk reward. <laughs> it's the other way around. That's the bank doing that. That's why the bank does that as they get, they say, well, you know, we're going to give this out. We're going to give this free money away for a little bit. And, and there's going to be a lot of people that pay it off and do the right thing, but there's going to be a bunch of people who screw it up. And for us, that's a really good return on investment. We're going to give this guy eight grand for free. And then in 11 months from now, we know that a certain amount of them are going to go, oh crap, I forgot. Bam. We're going to make 1600 bucks. So to me, the risk reward of that doesn't even make sense either, because if you miss it, you're, you're, you're screwed. And you're talking about like 18, you know, eight months of time frame or 10 months or whatever he said, just don't make your life complicated. People, it's just, it's just like Thomas a second ago, trying to spend all this energy on this infinitesimal decision as opposed to spending all the energy on the real big stuff. Like, why don't you go work overtime and pay your truck off in five months instead of 10? You know what I mean? I'm not picking on. No, I was thinking, I was thinking something similar here, which is Back to behavior, which you were talking about with Thomas and with investors as markets go up and down, how it's more about you. I might, John, use this higher interest rate to make you angry, and that'll make you pay off even more to the truck. So instead of saving yourself a hundred bucks, maybe, maybe even max a hundred bucks, use that fact that you're going to overpay on this damn thing to pay it off quicker. There it is. Go spend your time thinking about something else. <laughs> Thanks for the question, John. If you've got a question, and by the way, thank you too, Thomas, for the question. If you've got a question for the show, 
Only difference between John and Thomas, Thomas is taking home some swag because he called the Haven Lifeline and he'll get the greatest money show on earth t-shirt. By the way, we started teaming up with this uh, cool place called Tea Public, and uh, they are also doing wall hangings, mugs. They don't do skirts like Mrs. Ochi was wearing that great skirt with you and I right on the front. <laughs> Just not, not, not great. That was a terrible thing. Yeah, yeah. These are really good. But if you go to stackofbenjamins.com forward slash store, covers for your laptop some fun stacky Benjamin swag all designed by our good friend Brad at flying pork apparel. That guy's just an amazing artist. And by the way, uh, tour t-shirts. And, and, and if you think we're hovering on this because we make money selling swag, the answer is, <laughs> you know how hard Doug's laughing at these stupid animal videos. Yeah. There's no money in this. It just, I love this swag. I think it's really fun. And, and the t-shirts uh, are comfy. Well, and, and, and check out the new one for the tour. Have you seen he's got the dates on the back? And mm-hmm. we're going to bring those to Orlando, Detroit, and Kansas City. Uh, news on Kansas City, by the way, speaking of the tour, and if this is your first time listening to Stacky Benjamins, we're taking the show on the road. Orlando, September 25th, will be at the Improv. We'll be at the Improv in Kansas City on October 9th. And October 24th, we'll be in the Go Comedy Improv Theater in fabulous Ferndale, Michigan, just north of Detroit. Uh, tickets on sale now, 10 bucks, and you get two shows for the price of one. And I can announce today for the first time, the anchor of the pre and post game shows for the Kansas City Royals, our friend Joel Goldberg has a new Rounding the Bases podcast, and he'll be doing a live version to open up the Kansas City show before our show. So you get to meet Joel Goldberg at, uh, at our Kansas City event. And that's just the latest. There's more stuff every day. All sorts of new stuff coming. I swear. Yeah. StackyBedjamins.com forward slash tour for that. And to look at the swag, StackyBedjamins.com forward slash store. That's going to do it for today, man. Hey, thanks everybody who's left a review of the show. Thanks to everybody for hanging out with us today. OG, thanks for being a little feisty today. It's always fun. Yeah, I didn't have my breakfast this morning. <laughs> I'm, I have downed one cup I'm a of little coffee. Hang- I'm a little hangry. I-, I couldn't tell. Not at all. All right, Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what did we learn today? First, take some advice from Lindsay Stanberry. Creating your own money diary means reading up on lots of little tasks. Taking a few minutes every day to pick up one or two little points, maybe while eating breakfast. That's time well spent. Second, Looking to improve your income? Maybe it's time to think through your career choices. Some fields will have you swimming like a salmon to make money, while others, you'd be hard-pressed not to earn stacks and stacks of Benjamins. But the big lesson? (laughs) Yeah. Special thanks to Lindsay Stanberry for dropping by. You'll find Refinery29's Money Diaries wherever books are sold. Stacking Benjamin supports independent bookstores, so if you'd like to buy Money Diaries using our link, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Powell's, you'll also help out the show. Thanks! This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. 
SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. You've been a busy guy watching some movies. Yeah, only because of uh, American Airlines' uh, <laughs> selection. Yeah. Well, first one you saw was this movie that uh, now is coming out in video here soon. If it's not a video out yet, this is a little comedy film called Blockers. Let's block those mother. I'm in. Just going through the laundry. Found these new thongs. You know I love it when the music stops, but come and strip that down for me. Tonight, I'm tearing these off with my teeth like an old school cartoon billy goat. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, Mitch, those are your daughters. I'm ready. You look beautiful. I used to hold that girl in the palm of my hand. Kayla's becoming a woman. You're going to have to deal with that. Thanks, I was looking for that. We're gonna light it up like it's prom night. Dad, why are you here? You think I'm gonna miss the most important night of your young life? Isn't that graduation? Graduation is for losers. <laughs> the, day, the day you find your daughter's electric uh, toothbrush, and you think you think it might be something else. Yeah. And she takes it from you and says, thanks, I've been looking for that. that that's a little awkward. This movie is about uh, stars uh, John Cena and Leslie Mann and uh, a couple of other people. I don't know. And it's all about kids going to prom, trying to make a uh, memorable prom, if you know what I mean. And parents figure it out. And it's really kind of comical, as most of these things are. Because the parents are trying to interpret the text messages and what all these symbols mean and what their these you know their girls' plans are for the evening, and uh, it's just one slapstick thing after another. And there's plenty of uh, laugh out loud moments, like you heard at the very beginning, where the dad's talking to the talking to his wife about her Underwear. undergarments, and he's yes. getting a little crazy, and she goes, "Yeah, those are your daughters." And he goes, you know, there's a funny, <laughs> funny scene that goes on from there. So this is all about uh, the three parents who have been friends for a while trying to rescue their daughters from making a really big mistake on prom night. Rotten Tomato score, 83% for a stupid comedy. That's yeah. a phenomenal score. It's very funny. Yep. It's very funny. There's, there's plenty of like kind of 
downtime stuff. I think one of the one of the great parts about this movie is John Cena is the opposite of how you would expect him to be. You know, John Cena is yeah, yeah, yeah. WWE. He's the alpha male, and he's not. He's the fanny pack crying <laughs> when his daughter's going to college. He and must his have wife, had, on the other hand, is must have fun is, playing uh, that playing that part yes. too. This is a very deep R-rated movie. Definitely not for kids. Uh, very awkward sometimes watching it on a plane because you're kind of like, oh, 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 I don't know what's happening here, but I think I should fast forward. You went, you saw another movie on a plane. Let's listen to a little bit of this. This film's called Beirut. I was raised as an only child with two people who basically hated each other just enough to stay together. So I guess you could say I've been mediating since well before I was born. Years before I heard the term mutually assured destruction, I was very familiar with it growing up in that house. Mason Francis Skiles, 45 years old. 10 years ago, he was deputy chief of mission here until his wife was killed. He's damaged goods, but he's manageable. Maybe one of you can tell me what I'm doing here. Three nights ago, an American was pulled off the street in West Beirut. Next morning, we got a communique from a group calling itself the Militia of Islamic Liberation. They have the guy they want to talk. They want you to burger the deal. They asked for you specifically. Wow, John Hamm, Rosamund Pike. They asked specifically for him. He's got a little bit of a background. It's looking, this looks intense. This is a great movie. Yeah. Just to wrap up the one prior to this, thumbs up on Blockers, by the way. Totally fun movie. This is a completely different one. So he is, uh, this is set in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, there's no the comedy. 70s. No comedy here. No, 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 no. This is, uh, he is, he's working for the CIA. He's got a career. He's in Beirut. Starts out, he's hosting a party and his wife gets killed. Fast forward 10 years. Now he's back in the States. He's a mediator and, and he's, you know, mediating uh, uh, union contracts He's a raging alcoholic, and somebody walks up to him and goes, hey, you're Mason. I was told to give you this envelope. That's basically the CIA reaching back out going, yeah, we're going to need you to come back to, uh, to Beirut. So it's him trying to figure out what his role is in all of this. It's the CIA and the government trying to cover their rear ends. It's them trying to pin this stuff on him. It's him trying to not be involved because he kind of doesn't want to be. And then he finds out, you know, a little secret about this whole thing. And, and, you know, this just kind of spirals out of control. Meanwhile, he's trying to keep it all together because his main job is to get his buddy back from his captors. But there's 15 different layers of politics and espionage and all this stuff. Great movie. Totally intense from beginning to end. Very, very, very cool. Not a popcorn movie. You're not going to get up and hit pause and, you know, refill your Coke and come back. This is locked in for two hours, beginning to end. Totally awesome movie. I'm on the edge of my seat watching that trailer. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I just, I I mean, I'd seen the preview for it before, but it's just, again, one of those, like, it happened to be the letter B on the plane as you scroll through them and you're like, oh, sure. I like John Hamm. Play. I don't even remember really when this movie was in theaters. It must have been early this summer, and I just missed yeah, it. Yeah, kind, of, kind of recently, yeah. But uh, yeah, you'll like this. You'll like this, Beirut. Good stuff. Cool. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning. 
because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.